working on the 304. That's going to be the big pet project this winter. Um, I'm going to bring back some classics too. Yeah, a lot of people have been asking about it, so I might as well do it at least one more time. Did a lot of years of work, and um, you know, I thank everybody who's believed in me too. Like you know, in reality, like you can't continue a project to push forward and be able to produce things because there is, let's face it, there's overhead for productions like this. You know, water and soil and loan, lighting, power, and you know. So I thank everybody who's you know stuck with me over these years, and I'm looking forward to um, some of the newer stuff I put out to maybe bring some new people in, actually break out some of the classics and get some other people uh, a chance to grow those. You're listening to Crafting Cannabis. With your hosts, Early Bird Auto Grows, Blackwater Grows, and Rooter Allister. All right, all right, y'all. We're back at it again. We have an awesome guest. We got uh, Dan from Gnome Automatics. Good to have you, buddy. Well, thanks for having me, everybody. It's uh, nice to finally uh, meet all y'all. Yeah, man. Hell yeah. Welcome. Yeah, we've been wanting to talk to you for a while, so this is really exciting. It is exciting. You know, I'm glad we got it together and uh, we can finally make it happen. Absolutely. We, uh, flower man himself. Absolutely. Yeah. The, uh, the, the, what do you call the progenitor of the clone army, the Mandalorian himself. Mm -hmm. There he is there. Yep. That's it. <laughs> yeah. That was, uh, that was a much needed change that still to this day. I'm glad I got ahead of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, because like I, nobody knew what that was unless you knew. Yeah. You didn't know unless you knew. Exactly. And then, and then it blew up and then everybody knew that word, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I was like, well, yeah, it's got to change. We've got to get ahead of this. Yeah. But, so we don't, oh, I'm sorry. We, we don't need to rabbit hole on the, uh, on the old. <laughs> no, it's all good. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> There's still some vintage packs out there. People are holding on to. So it's kind of cool. I know I have a sticker or two that I ain't moving. It's just don't stay right where it's at. <laughs> I still got the uh, black strap from when you were Mandalorian. Nice. Oh yeah, yeah. The cross. I saw one. I saw one of those float in to my Facebook group. I think two or three days ago, guy was holding some. Nice. Yeah. That dovetails nicely. Uh, just sort of like a context for how we know your work. Uh, the three of us were uh, had met and had met a bunch of other growers in uh, an auto flower growing class that was put on by Firebuds Genetics and yep. IG, and so we were in a group for a while and we got to know each other and a lot of us grew your work and so you know for a while definitely it was like people were talking about it going back and forth trying different things and uh yeah it's been it's been a journey it's been fun to watch all the different stuff that's coming out for sure yeah it was always good to work with uh, firebuds man um, he's been to the house a couple times um you know they came down for a cookout one time great family met him over in seattle a few times you know we did the mando fruit together and you know <laughs> We had a, a really good bond. We still do. We still have a good bond. I know he's not as active as he once was, um, but, you know, good family, good people. That was a fun collaboration time to work with. It also taught me a lot about how to work with other breeders, too. So there were some things learned from that as well. Do awesome. you know how his son's doing? I know his son was having, like, some some problems. Last I heard, he was doing great. Um, kidney things. Um, last thing I heard and completely understand, he hasn't – I haven't heard any bad news. It's been a okay. couple months since we've chatted, but like, I figure if there was a problem, he'd reach out because they used to, and the reason they'd come here a lot is because they were at Seattle uh, Children's Hospital. You know what I mean? So they were down this direction all the time from where they lived. And um, so, yeah, as far as I know, things are going great with him. Good, good. Ooh. Yeah, because that was a scary time, man. That's yeah. terrifying. It really Nobody was. wants to deal with that. You know? No. 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 Well, um, so breeding. 
what's going to jump right into it uh when you're talking about you know working with other breeders and obviously a lot of people who listen to this show are going to be familiar with your work but for people that don't know you uh breed and sell auto flowering seeds right mainly now please feel free to clarify and add to that yeah our primary focus is auto flowers that's where a lot of the energy is dedicated to um i've done some fast flowering photo periods in the as of recent last couple of years here uh, not a big push on them just some parents that i found that exhibited some really good quality traits for the pacific northwest and not just here because i figure if we can grow it and it'll finish in the the wet climate that we have here towards the end of the season or beforehand you know kind of benefits anywhere else in the country but yeah the primary focus is auto flowers my initial start was regular uh, auto flowers only uh, my initial releases were regular seed male female so people can clarify because like people you know that way they understand you got both sexes in a pack um and then once i released i did blackstrap it was my first feminized auto release that i dropped um i did that with brother mandel there was an exchange between him and i i said look i'm more than happy to do the work i know you're busy i said but i need a tune-up on a good silver thiosulfate risk silver thiosulfate recipe for reversals if we're going to do this and uh, you know he worked with me on that got a solid recipe together so we could do that project together we tweaked it and um that's how black strap was born and my first feminized line so i primarily offer feminized seeds are my biggest launch right now still put out some regs still have the you know a few fast photos and i've also offered up um a couple different or one different land race too just an IBL project and some seeds that I acquired from Australia just to kind of keep that plant alive and let have people have something different. Right on, right on. So um, like, I guess we'll just kind of start now as we go, like just kind of helping listeners out with the vocabulary, IBL, inbred line. So that is like, Correct. just to clarify that it's like a, a, a line that is basically homogeneous. You're going to get 95%, 90% consistency if you pop all those seeds is that generally the idea of an ibl further down the generations yes you know but it's typical you are correct it's an inbred line meaning you take a brother and sister from the seeds that you just acquired or made and breed them together and continue that each generation to make that ibl which means it's inbred you know um throughout that sift is when you're going to start looking for those ones that come out uniformed and provide what you want and by you know fourth fifth sixth generation you're going to start getting that balance across a lot absolutely so when you're making your picks for like a, a mom or dad or whatever whatever you're breeding for what are you looking for on these plants um multiple layers of things indoor selection outdoor selection could be compounded um and what i mean by compounded there's different attributes you're going to get from something that's bred completely indoors and then try to throw it outside or vice versa. You know, I've had some plants that just absolutely hate the LED or any kind of artificial lighting. You put them under the sun, they're fine and dandy. So I look for a balance between those two platforms, I think. You know, just as at like the ground level where it can survive indoor and be successful in containers, deep water culture, um, cocoa, or if you want to put it outside and you're putting it in the ground or you're putting it in, you know, a peat-based soilless medium with organic fertilizer, something that's well-rounded is basically what I'm looking for at the base. Nice. I know your autos tend to get, well, at least Blackstrap and Anvil, they tend to get pretty large because my Blackstrap got pretty damn big in my tent. And then Blackwater, you grew Anvil, right? Yeah, that was a monster. Yeah, and that was, that was big too. Yeah, it was. They're big autos. 
I had a good they are. And a four foot black strap myself. Yep. Yep. Yeah. They got go they go way up there. And then uh I had uh, it was a purple pope I had that was huge. That was a cross he did with um Daz. Uh, Daz, yeah. But well, that one got huge too. <laughs> yeah. Right. Those were uh seven ounces. Those two purple popes. Oh yeah. Each one. Which is good for Easy. me. Yeah. Easy. Yeah, you don't even have to think about it. I mean, that's that's a solid seven ouncer for sure, no matter what. You know, and I get a lot of people that ask me to bring Anvil back. You know, I'm in this this point where I'm trying to work on something new to bring out another anvil or some of my original stuff, like the Alpha number five line heritage is basically where all that comes from. And yeah, she does get big. I did select, I mean, I selected for size and color and effect on anvil. Um, and of course it's in black strap and the Pope. So that's those genetics that are coming out inside there. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Dark, man. Yeah. Dark too. Very dark. <laughs> well, the anvil, was it anvil I washed? Yeah, it was anvil that I washed. I put it through fr fresh frozen and then ran it through, you know, the ice ash process. The water looked like, like Merlot and the actual <laughs> bubble when I pulled it out of the bottom of the bag was purple. So the anthocyanins, are translating into the rosin glands and all the way into the heads. I remember um, that. I remember that post. Uh, they were beautiful. Yeah, see, that was, it was purple, man. It was, it, <laughs> it, it was, was shocking. You know, I think it's yeah. like, I didn't get a chance to press it because I don't have a freeze dryer. It's not my primary focus. You know, I don't have room mm -hmm. dedicated for that process, but I've got delicious. some friends and it was delicious. You know, it was <laughs> a little peppery, um, like white peppery and subtle, subtle, subtle grape tones, but not real heavy. Um, but if I could have a freeze dryer and then see if I could get it into the hash rosin is what I'm looking for next. If I work with Anvil again, I want to push it that far. If it's yeah. even all possible. Mm -hmm. Let's hash her out. Oops. Oh, man. Well, yeah, because anthocyanins are water soluble. Yeah. So mm -hmm. if you add heat, I think they're going to evaporate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wonder, did it ever bleed red when you trimmed it or if you topped it? Anything like I that? No, that's the only size, only side of it I've never seen color out of those plants. Right on, right on. Yeah, so uh, I'm interested in uh, kind of hearing more about how you said you select primarily for uh, um, for mold and you know mildew resistance and pest resistance and the ability to withstand certain climates. And uh, uh, we I guess we can say you're in the Pacific Northwest without being too specific. Yeah, unless you care, <laughs> but, uh, um, so in that climate, um, you're obviously wet, you know, it's raining a lot. You got a high chance of boitritis and other things like that. So like, what's your process for selecting that out aside from the obvious, just looking at the plants that turn out. Okay. Like, can you speak to your methodology for how you look for these traits? Well, yeah. I mean, a lot of it's going to be physical expression or visual expression when it comes down to the molds and mildews. You got to look at those plants. Some plants get like peppered or the, the leaves turn white from all the powdery mildew. Like the pressure is just so bad. It's so susceptible, but then you turn around and that one's going to be the stinkiest one out of the 120. You know, that's, it's those things that you got to fight with. Like you can't have it all on the first lot. So you, you got to find the one that's going to handle the climate. It can be grown in and make a big lot from that. And then like I'm doing right now with the 304, um, which is Pinkleberry by Green Source Gardens and my coal miner's daughter. I got a whole lot going outside right now that are just gonna be grown for flower and environmental exposure. I've got four different lots to work from, from the F3s. So this is the first phase I'm gonna run two this year. I'm gonna start one 
August as well to see how it handles into those wetter climates. Because not everybody's going to get it in early, but the whole point is to find the lot that I'm going to work with next. And out of those, I'll then find the progressive traits from there. You know, got the ones that are most mold, you know, mold mildew resistant, they grow to the right size and time frame. From there, I'll go to turps and resin production and pest resistance. You know, all that stuff will come down the line from each lot. You know, I just don't take one male and female and hope for the best and then work to the next generation. There's mm. a, I'd like to put it on a larger scope to see behavior. Cause right now I got two distinct phenotypes out of these F3. I got a shorter, fast flowering one and I got a taller, more robust one that has more of the pinkleberries parental structure as in size and transplant stability. You know, everybody likes to transplant. Everybody wants to know how to transplant. Farms want to transplant when they buy these seeds. So that's another step I'm looking to as well. Like these ones that can, t- you know, be in a four by four nursery pot for two, three weeks and then be transplanted into the ground and then still get over three foot tall and still yield better and not have that transplant shock, you know, for field planting. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. Because that's that's definitely a common problem, especially now with autos where we can get so many different cultivars from so many different vendors that I think, yeah. a lot of them, I don't know about the majority, but definitely a lot of them haven't been tested in these kind of cases, you know, so you spend your money, you set everything up, you grow some seeds and then they just like fart out. And so it's, it's really exciting, you know, to hear you describe and to hear that other breeders are doing this specifically, like, so that the growers can get good stock. I think that's something that's worth, like, it seems like a no brainer, but it's something that's worth pointing out because it's becoming rare, which is a bummer. Yeah, and I appreciate that. And and you're correct, you know, and there's a lot of newer vendors that are coming out that are using the stock that we have worked so hard on. I say we, there's been a, it's not just me, there's several guys in my generation, for lack of a better term, that have the that quality, you know, obviously Daz and the people that I've collaborated with have that quality about them. Um, But you're right, there's not a lot of work being put in. People are like, you know, they want new stuff, but for me, it's why it takes like 304. I did a release of it at F3. It's the most genetic diverse, gives people an opportunity to do some breeding with and introduce some new stock. Now it's about honing it in. And I did one solid drop of that just enough to get it out there. And that also provides me a test. Are they going to come up stable? Are people seeing intersex plants? Are they going to be able to grow them in whatever condition they're able to grow in, what the male and female ratios may be, just to make sure that the seed stock's good and it's worthy to even work with? Um, at the same time, I'm doing the same thing. And people love it. I'm getting good feedback from fellow Northwest growers. And, you know, you said earlier, if I care where I'm at, I'm uh, west of Seattle. Um, is where we're at. We're, we're close we're, to the whole rainforest to give people an idea. We get a lot of rainfall here in the winter. So I think the work's important. Yeah. In short. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's been on my mind a lot lately and in, in, uh, thinking about, you know, the industry and some of the new strains. And in our Discord, we've been having some discussions about just the overall state of the genetics, how there's this, like, there's a lot of air quotes, good weed, there's stuff that will get you stoned or will get you high and it'll do that for a little while. But it's just like, a lot of it is just missing something. And we're finding like people that we chat with are starting to kind of remember even just the nineties, you know, let, let alone like the eighties or the seventies, but just the stuff that, you know, uh what ak-47 cindy 99 those kind of strains that seemed you would get one once in a while that where you'd be high for like three hours off of a joint and then you'd be like wow that was great you know and i think that for me i haven't like come across that in quite a while so i've been really interested to see um breeders focus more on the product and try to like cast aside this whole thc obsession for a little while you know 
Um, no, you and me both. I mean, if you want my honest opinion about it, I mean, it's the problem with the industry. Um, or not the problem. There's multiple problems. There's all kind of shit. It's one of the biggest problems. It's the most, I think it's the biggest misguided. And I have this conversation with a lot of the friends that I have in my circle here, the people that I've met from the West Coast that have been generational growers. Um, and it's not one of those things where it's like, oh, the good times were better. Because, yeah, they were. But at the same time, we weren't solely focused on removing everything we possibly could from the plant and focused directly on THC. But there is such a broad spectrum inside that plant that we're missing out on. Terpenes are great to get a good terpene profile. High terpene profiles are awesome. It smells like berries, smells like candy, smells like whatever. But there's also something I believe you're sacrificing because you're missing other cannabinoids um, with inside the plant. There's a synergy effect that really, really is. You know, CBG is a giant, is a big player. CBD is obviously as well. And we could go on, so on and so forth. But I agree with you. Uh, we're solely focused on THC. Those numbers tend to sell. But I think over time, it'll become like alcohol. And I'm not comparing the two. What I'm saying is people are going to stop giving a shit about the proof once they find something of quality that's going to work. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, I agree with that. I like 18 percenters. We start getting to 22, 23. Yeah. I have no desire. I really don't. Like my, some of my favorites have been 18. 23, 24 is maybe my, my peak. But it's only because of the farm that I've known the flowers grown at and have actually seen what they do. You know what I mean? It's not just hunting the THC, the THC is becoming more active because of their growing methods, because of the organic style they grow in. Absolutely. And I, I definitely have noticed like, um, <clears throat> just like commercial weed, if I've ever, you know, gone to a dispensary in, in various states. And uh, every once in a while, you'll get something that's like, stony, but it makes me feel dumb, and slow. And <laughs> yeah, like, you know, and like grumpy, almost and uneasy. And it's just weird. And I don't know if that's what like, is starting to turn people on where like this heavy stone that's just uh odd but yeah anyway that's that's my personal beef i don't i don't like that and i would like to find more sort of complex things because like um i don't know if you're familiar with uh snow high seeds legendary genetics does a lot of land race stuff from east asia and that kind of thing that he puts out for breeding stock and different purposes um but uh he said he had a strain called the devil's tit that tested out it was like, you know, low by today's standards, 14, 15%, something like that. But it would put the extracts would put people in a fetal position on the floor. Right. Damn. They were so <laughs> yeah. And that was that specific combination of cannabinoids that were in that plant, you know, the right combo. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, that's the thing. Uh, again, that synergy effect, you know, may only be 14%, but it was probably high in something else, you know, like, and with all that combined, because um, we weren't doing that kind of lab testing back then like we do today either. You know, we weren't, they weren't being tested and because there was no access, there was no legality. Yeah. Yeah. So what, uh, that's, that's an interesting topic. Like where you are, do you find easy access to testing? Does it cost, you know, 10, 50, hundred bucks per test? Like, is it reasonable or are you able to do it? So Washington is a weird beast. Uh, let me give you guys some information on Washington state. Um, to be able to even home cultivate here, you have to be a patient okay, of the state. There is no home cultivation laws here whatsoever. Um, if you have that certification and you have your paperwork, you can go to a lab and get testing. I have a lab 35 minutes from the house, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, testing is pretty reasonable, especially if they give you like a 25% discount if you pay upfront for the test rather than you know paying once the test is done. That way they can guarantee their money. 
Um, I think ours, like with the pay up front, it's like around 75, 80 bucks, if I remember. Um, I do a lot of seed testing too. Uh, the reason I do seed testing is to be able to put them in CBD shops. So as long as they test under the 0 0.03, they can be sold in brick and mortars around here and in other locations. That's right. one of the stipulations in Washington. So that's, I was cool. a new, that's a new venue that I found, which has been pretty cool. It's been pretty nice to be in uh, brick and mortar here. Yeah, for sure. Dude, that's that's a great that you said that. That has crossed my mind before being in a convenience store. Like, man, there should be a little seed display right there, you know? Yeah, so like uh, one of the pipe shops um, north of me, um, they have a display with my genetics inside the store. You know, you can buy your pipes, you can buy your CBD treats for your dogs, or you can buy some seeds to grow. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's great. It's a pretty cool feeling. <laughs> darn right, man. Congrats. That's cool. Thank you. So yeah, what uh, and I'm uh, do you have elbow room with your lab that you use? Like where a lot of these places say plus or minus ten percent, fifteen percent, which is crazy to me. That's like how do you even really get a a picture of what you're testing? But like, how do you feel about the results that you're getting? Pretty consistent, um, very very consistent. I did have one lot of seeds test high in THC, which was weird. THC, not delta nine, but the acid. You know, so I don't know if it was residual resin that was still on the seed when I took it to them. It was it was interesting to see so it was a little bit out of place but a majority i've taken seven maybe ten different varieties to them and it's all within three percent you know which is what i expect flower yeah. testing has been anywhere between five to ten at ten at the worst ten at the worst um so yeah i mean they're, they're relatively consistent this lab has been anyway it's um they seem to have been you know they're doing what they're supposed to do yeah cool right on i wanted to talk about gem for a little bit like you created gem right I did not create gem. Um, I furthered gem along from the seed stock that I got. Okay. So gem came from a breeder named Mossy. She's from Spain. Um, she's actually my mentor. And I knew her from back in the forum days, like roll it up, icy mag. And then of course the autoflower network cool. came along, spawned out. Um, she sent me the gem. Um, to work with, to mentor me on the breeding skills. And I took it, it's all the way up to F9, I think is where I finally stopped. It's an F9 offering. Um, so I worked at six generations beyond the F3 that she gave me. Wow. That one was high in CBG, correct? It finished at 3% in the flower CBG. And then if you did extract, it was 10% uh, per gram. Wow. Wow. She's a special plant. She really is. I have a friend in Missouri who has a family member that's had terrible headaches for years. And um, the gem, she hasn't taken her migraine medication since she's been using gem that he's extracting and growing flour for her for. She was able to stop her pharmaceuticals. I can't make any medical claims, obviously. But right. this yeah. is to say, he's like, hey, listen, you need to send me some more. I'm running out. It's like, I got a you know, gallon Ziploc bag. I'll send you more. Hey, in our house, anecdotal is great. I love it. Oh, 100%. Like, just to hear that. And his wife, his wife has MS as well, so it helps her. So it's kind of a nice little staple in their garden. Rudy, don't you have a friend that has, like, migraines and stuff? Yep, yep. And I was looking around for – so uh, you uh, may be familiar with the big green guy, green guy genetics. He's got a strain that he's that he's has been testing called the sauce that, like, wipes out migraines. And so I don't know if he's had that lab tested or not, but it's similar result to what you described, yeah. And that's awesome. And it's, it's amazing what it, cause that's what it does for me too. I mean, that's one of my, um, that's been chasing me around since about middle schools when they started. Um, 
you know, that's one of my largest ailments besides a few other things, but uh, it really does that CVG seems to help. And I'll tell you another nice thing about pure CVG, if you can get a hold of it, like I have some in a tincture, it's 25%. Um, and then I have some that's RSO at 75%. And if that migraine's coming in, that CVG, I mean, it's not really psych, it's not psychoactive. So if that migraine's really setting in, I can hit that RSO and about an hour and 20 minutes, it's usually flipped. Wow. Nice. That's awesome. That's very cool. Yeah, yeah. We're, uh, uh, me and a couple other growers are, are working on, uh, gem and just making some seeds for ourselves so that we can have it so we can keep it. Cause I know that you, you guys aren't putting it out anymore. So oh, but, it's still out there. Oh, it's out. Yeah. I mean, just like, you're not continuing it. Right. Is that what you're like? I may, oh, I may okay. feminize it. I've been, you know, I've been, there's a couple of them that people are asking me to bring back. We kind of touched on that earlier. Yeah. Um, Jim, I don't think will ever go away. And I don't think Anvil's ever, I'm not, I don't think people are going to allow me to make Anvil go away. If, if you want. They won't let you, man. Yeah. <laughs> they won't let you. If people like, I get asked about it. Like every time I talk to a, a vendor, they're like, when's Anvil coming back? we got people on the wait list. My cousin who's been hounding me about it is that you need to bring it back. I have it in F8 regular. Um, and then it's been femmed once. So F7 to F7 feminization. Uh, so I got the F8 regs and then F8 fems. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Well, man, if Fem Gem comes out, I am yeah, in line. 100%. Gem. All in for Fem Gem. Fem Gem, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, All man. in. All yeah. in. Yeah, for sure. Because uh, So I can speak to my experience with that. I grew up just two plants of Gem, and it was two years ago. And I still think about it. And that's what made me want to like do a preservation run just to keep some of the seeds around because it was so special because it was tiny uh and yeah. that's no negative point it's like the size of a basketball but yeah. um yeah the first time I, I smoked it like actually stands out in my memory because it was it was a creeper it struck me as that like oh, 15 20 yeah. minutes later I was telling my buddy like oh this one's a creeper that's wild you know because it's <laughs> gonna snuck up on me but yeah well, really I really um really medicating experience super relaxing super mellow yeah like uh joint stiffness just totally gone it was really you just nice. feel feel loose yep you do it kind of you know we used to say it stimulates the instead of restricting the blood vessels it kind of increases that blood flow and when you get increased blood flow to areas things start <laughs> to loosen up you know what i mean like or like you tend to think so Hell well yeah. isn't that what they say like sativa and indica does like the difference of the two one constricts, one opens up. I could see that. I mean, indica typically relaxes you. Sativa is usually uplifting, you know, but I'm not sure. I can't, you know, specifically say, yes, that's it. Yeah. I, I think I recently heard that on a, on a different podcast, but I can't remember which one it was. I was going to go somewhere with them, Jim. I don't know where my brain was now. <laughs> well, that, uh, so uh, my personal desire for them, Jim, would be to uh, see you green it. Um, oh, there you go. That, that's where we go. Because of its stature and because of having to select out of reg seeds, which is fine. But having feminized seeds would be great because then yeah. you see a green. See a green. Yeah. Yeah, that would be great. It would be. And it's, a, it's an interesting uh, process to take a reg line into fem for the first time. Um, you got to learn how to time the plants. It's not like dealing with photo periods where you can take a clone, get the clone rooted reverse that clone you know while you're reversing that clone pop your flower tent you know your your regular plants into flower and then be able to pollinate you know 
like that. There's actually a staged effect you have to do if you're doing a what I call an R1 because it's not a true S1. It's a reversal of a line, hmm. you know. Hmm. So it, R1, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Would you really? Could you really effectively self an auto? <sighs> you can. Uh, Anvil, I could say you could probably get away with it um, due to her longer growth cycle. Um, you have time to isolate a branch, you know, spray it with some silver, um, if you choose whichever one you want, colloidal or STS, um, and effectively reverse a single branch on it and pollinate it. But I think you have to have the longer, you know, uh, the longer growing cultivars to do so, to be right. successful. Yeah, you still need, what, five weeks for seed development, five to six weeks? Well, and the other thing about it is, too, you have to block ethylene effectively at a balance. What I have found this has become tricky. This was the big, hardest trick that I found. You can overdo it or you can underdo it. And what I mean by that is sometimes if you go too much blocking, the plant doesn't get enough ethylene back before it finishes its cycle to actually make pollen in those reverse pollen sacs. Sterile almost. Whereas there's a point where you stop the reversal process, ethylene can come back and make active pollen some of the observations i've had recently over the last like two or three runs it's interesting to watch happen the hormone changes yeah that's fascinating so essentially if you overspray it can't pump the hormone back to make the pollen to, yeah to, yeah exactly because there's been times i've had plants that you can flick and they dump like a regular male and multiple in the lot do that and then there's other ones that just look like a natural male because they reverse so well that it just when the sacks open there's just nothing there and if it is, shooting blank. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you about your medium. So a few, what was it? I guess about two years ago, year and a half ago, somewhere in there, you you started posting about that Bio three sixty. Yes. Tell me about that. Are you still using that stuff? And hands, which which ones are you using? If that's the case, hands down, I hands won't down. use anything else in my pots, in my indoor grows, in my outdoor grows, yeah. ever again. Um, and I'm. This is they've been like. They take really good care of me, but you know, it was an initial relationship. Hey, we're going to send you this. They sent me a mixed palette of all the different, we talked on the phone for about an hour so we could get an idea what my previous recipes were, or what I was mixing with and stuff like that. And he sent me a mixed palette of their bio start, which is like a seedling mix, their bio all, which is like an all purpose mix. And then their bio flower, which is more cocoa heavy. Um, all of them are fantastic. Blend the three together. They do well. You don't need to add much dry amendment, many dry amendments to it. Um, I found out that if you layered the bio start with the bio all and the bio flower, uh, two gallon pot, you could make it all the way through with pretty much water only out of wow. the bag, out of the bag with those three, um, you know, put it in a layer bio flower on the bottom, yeah. bio all in the middle, bio start on the top. I was impressed. And that's what got me hooked. So I called the rep that hooked me up. I said, listen, I said, I'm built. I want to populate. I got this room, get ready to do a seed run. He said, no problem. That's when they got me that pallet. I did the seed run with it. It was incredible. And then I went to the bigger pots outside. I said, look, I said, I grow for the county fair every year. I grow for ribbons for my vegetables. Um, it takes care of my cannabis. Let me put it on my, my vegetables in the garden. And oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so I use the bio all is my, the only one I use. So I get bio all is my pallet. Um, and then I mix down to earth fertilizers, biofish, all purpose and bio live um, in a different ratios, you know, two bags and then the ratios of the dry amendments to it. And everything I did on the 
latest night out collab was water only dry amendments wow. in the soil obviously that were pre-mixed into the soil but the entire cycle was water only i didn't have to add cow mag i didn't i didn't add anything i didn't need to um and i didn't need to add anything but water like i was i was waiting for some calcium issues never happened um was waiting on maybe some nitrogen issues because if some of these uh, cultivars are like Mothman's super heavy. She's a big feeder. She made it through a couple, um, couple top dressing cycles through there because we're talking about two gallon pots. So nutrition's going to dissipate with plants that are like three and a half, four foot tall pretty quickly in flower. So what I would do is I do a top dress mix every two weeks or two weeks before the next stage. So two weeks before stretch, hit them with the you know dry amendment topping. Two weeks, you know, after after stretch, they're starting to swell. Hit them with that top dress, and they push clear through. Um, That's awesome. Water, with water and drying them. Nice. What size containers were you in? I run everything from three quarter gallon all the way up to three gallon. Wow. That's, and I use cloth pots. I don't run. The only time I run anything big is when I'm holding mothers. Right now, I got a couple seven, maybe uh, they may be ten gallon pots of. This one I've been keeping alive for years, but it's time to kill these moms and up or up pot the clones. I've got her cloned, and you know I'll keep her alive again. Um, now, but yeah, I usually don't grow anything over three. That's Indoor. interesting. Indoor well, only that's, too. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, because whenever we talk about the uh, the battery, you know, the pot o- over over time, it, it seems like at least in our circles, it's been what seven ten gallons up to 15 yeah, gallons like 10. where you really need yeah. that like most people would say that it would be really hard to do it but that would be the difference between uh you know top feeding and water only the entire time i guess that would be the you know depending on the size of the pot you know so if it's like a five ten gallon pot you might be able to get away without top dressing depending you know and i think that's the ticket yeah. right there it's it's the top dress so what i'll do is mm-hmm. I, I i scratch back my rice hulls because i use the rice hulls to provide that mulch layer on top of the bag because we lose, people don't realize we lose a lot more water out of the top of the soil than we do the actual side of the bags. Do they get hydrophobic? Yes, but they usually suck that water right back in as it's pouring it back out. Um, but I will scratch it back, you know. And so, for example, my two gallon pots, they're high vertical drop in these. They're tall two inch pots. Oh, okay. Yeah, super, super tall. Like uh, I think 10, maybe 11 inch drop from the top of the bag to the bottom, which is a pretty nice. good, you know, vertical good drop. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, and then I scratch back. And those inter, you know, those interim times when I add the uh, top dressing and then push the rice hulls back over on top of it, and then you know, take it from there. Breaking down the rice hulls too does include silica. It takes maybe two cy- or a cycle and a half for that to happen. So if you're reusing that soil, you're building the silica levels up in there too. Yeah, I do the same thing with rice hulls. I put make a little mulch layer. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if that soil layering technique would even work in a, like a bottom feeding system, like auto pots, like would that, if you had the bio start, the bio all, and then the bio flower, if, if you're, if they're drinking from the bottom, would that carry that bio flower up like too soon? It potentially could, you know, very Mm. well potentially could, you know, that's one system I didn't test it and I have auto pots, but I don't have enough to do a run in, you know what I mean? Like if I'm doing a search, I don't have, it's not as much ground space or excuse me square square footage to grow in what are you what are you doing for irrigation nowadays hand water still i'm a hard hand yeah <laughs> no um usually what i do is i got uh blue mat carrots you know blue one mat. carrot one carrot takes a pretty damn good care of if you need to a three gallon pot they should pe- technically have two and three gallons 
but I'm like I said, I'm anywhere most of the time I'm one and two gallon pots. And I use one carrot, you know, the average size carrot. Yeah. And it does its thing. They do really, really good. As long as the res doesn't go dry and your home forgets to come water when you're on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The yeah whole place, those, they have diaphragms, right? And once they dry out, they're like, you gotta like restart. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So what so what happens as long it depends on how dry your soil gets around the carrot. If the carrot gets depleted and then the soil around the carrot starts getting dry, then you got to start over. If your carrot gets depleted and you still have a moisture barrier, it'll run real quick and then usually shut itself back down. So you have to fill the reservoir up, watch the reservoir, watch the plants, make sure they don't flood and then backfill your reservoir. Now, is that a gravity fed system or is there pumps or anything? Gravity fed. Okay. Uh, they're slick too. I mean, it's it's a genius idea. It is a diaphragm system. So basically what happens is once the water begins to be sucked out of that terracotta carrot, the pressure drops inside there and opens that diaphragm top cap. And then it starts pumping the water into the carrot and then back out of the actual drip tube. And then hmm. once that pressure builds back up inside the carrot, that diaphragm closes. Now, how do you adjust the uh, like the flow rate? It's a, There's a knob on the top of the actual carrot. And what you do is you turn it on to open and then you back it down until it actually holds the drip right at the end of the uh, the tube. Like the drip will sit there and that's your calibration. Fall. It won't fall until that, that uh, pressure, pressure, atmospheric pressure changes inside that cone. Okay. And when it, dry, mm. when, the, when it dries out, you have to redo that, right? That's what you have to restart is find that right spot. Yeah. Yeah. And mm. what I recommend people do, if you do your, re what saved me and what I learned if your reservoir runs out and your carrots run dry, shut all your carrots off, soak your pots through, backfill your reservoir, wait a few minutes to, for the water to, you know, permeate, and then start adjusting your valves. Because, like, if you don't, you could get yourself flooded real quickly or just, like, a continuous run and just drown your plants. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good PSA. <laughs> yeah, dude, I've learned a lot. And auto pots taught me a lesson, too. They're great, but they will flood. They yep. will flood if something yep. gets in that valve. They will flood. Yeah. It's a great product, but they will flood, and I might have flooded way too many times for me, so I quit using them. <laughs> oh, shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Understood. Well, when, yeah. Well, when you know, and a little defense to them, I got the new larger valve bodies when they first came out, and they didn't have the irrigation lines yet, so I had to make my own irrigation line, but I went out and bought brass fittings. That. Yeah. Yeah, you know, brass fittings, black plastic, built my own irrigation line and they did fine but once they had their line in i still was getting flooding so eh. you know Damn. once they actually had eh, it is what it is but like i said they're they're great if i could use them with the bags outside indoors i'll stick with the blue mats understood yeah right on right that's on. cool either way you've got it nailed so <laughs> hey whatever like works them. man darn right right um i wanted to uh, circle back on uh, Pinkleberry. You had mentioned that earlier, and mm -hmm. uh, well, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that that cultivar She's and like you know why why you selected it and what made you choose that. So I've seen it. Been, I have watched it been grown on forums, and then of course you know the newer platforms these days. I've watched that plant come to maturity, and I like color. If you can't tell. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I do like color. It's a uh, um, it's just one of the things I enjoy. I do like the color on cannabis plant. 
Ankleberry's pretty, man. She is. Yeah, <laughs> she yeah. Is. it's got it's got the pink stigmas. And to see that those pink pistols on top of pink and purple flower is just gorgeous to me. But she's also been selected for this region. She's been grown outdoors several generations by Green Source Gardens, you know, in the Pacific Northwest on the side of the mountain. It's had tremendous amount of outdoor exposure. And I think that's important when it's it's going to become more important when, you know, they want to push a green initiative on us. How many how much longer till they start shutting down indoor grow operations and make everybody go to the field? Yeah. You know, make everybody go to light depth, make everybody go to, you know, sun grown through the summer. Um, but I also understand that if those plants are bulletproof out there, they have the potential to be bulletproof inside as well. Because it microclimates, um, people get infestations, people drag all kinds of shit in when they come in and out of those grows because they're not cautious. Um, so that's why I used it as one of the, as the photo parent. The other reason is because it has an interesting early trigger. So once the equinox goes away or, you know, we start going on the downside of June 21st, that plant starts to go into flower. It has an extremely early trigger. And I knew that may be able to save me a generation of selection before I started seeing higher numbers of auto flowering plants in the offspring. And that was true. By F2, we had over 75% of the seeds were autoflowered. We saw them in the F1. Wow. The okay. F1 had high numbers. And I don't, I talked to Nick from Green Source Gardens, and he, as far as he knew, there was no ruderalis. It was just an early triggering plant. And yeah, the F2, the F3, I'm looking at probably 85% right now. Everything's triggered that's in wow. the pots outside right now. And it's, you know, we're still at 15. 15 and a half hours a day like here. So are you leaning still then like auto flowering or, or uh, fast, fast flowering essentially? I'm, I'm looking for auto flowers that have the ability to keep up with the underbrush. Uh, basically that could get large enough, fast enough with the proper structure to produce the same amount of yield in a quicker time frame. Just rapid growth. I mean, some of the ones I'm working on right now, Bobby's widow, um, Pure Bobby's Widow will finish anywhere between 58 to 60 days for harvest from germination. Wow. It'll get very big, wow. but they have an extremely fast flower cycle. And I use the F5 and Coal Miner's Daughter F5-4 and made Osage number three. And I've got a tank of those outside right now that um, that are over my head. <laughs> and nice. today is the ninth. So they're 42 days old and they're taller than me and in flower. Damn. Holy shit. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Those are the recent pictures I put up on Instagram of OSH3 in that like farm feeding tank. Cool. Definitely going to check that out. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. I know like it's kind of blown my mind. I'm picturing any plants I've grown at 42 days are not anywhere close to that. <laughs> but gaining that, that's, that's a really interesting trait, gaining that size in that time and flowering. That's that's pretty cool. What are the Beautiful. effects on that um, on that plant? Do you know yet? Um, I do not. This is the first time I've grown out the F one. I've had reports back from people who grew out the F one. I did a you know small slotted release of them uh, because it's both of my award winning cultivars, and I got good feedback. A lot of the Bobby's Widow comes in. It smells like acetone and berries when it's growing. It's a distinct acetone smell. So I don't know what the coal miner's daughter's done, so we'll find out. Because I did a, 
was called Bobby Swirl. It was a collab between Daz and I. And three of the plants smelled like the original Bobby's Widow. So its terpene profile comes out pretty strong. Okay, cool. That's a great segue. I did want to cover that uh, while we're while we're hanging out. Um, your collaborations with Daz from Night Owl. Yeah. Um, can you just kind of tell us uh, what that was like? I mean, as much as you are, you guys have agreed to talk about publicly, uh, you know, how, what was it like just sending back and forth? And I, I assume that you kind of split up different steps of the process and, and uh, discuss the details as you were going. Um, just curious how that experience goes. Um, so the first time he did all the work, so when like the Purple Pope came out um, and a few of the others at the Bobby Swirled, um, he did all the work in-house. You know, I trust him. I've known him for a very, very, very long time. Um, I've always had a great relationship. And, um, you know, he did the work and he reached out to me. So I think we should do another one. He said, but I think you should do the work this time. I said, sounds great. You know, like you've put in the work for me. You know, you've done amazing things for me. You know, you did the first collaborations. You did the releases. It was in your hands. I'll put these in my hands. You know, so I did all the work. Uh, we did the cross and selection. I kept them updated through the process. You know, of course, we had multiple conversations about what I was seeing, what I was liking. You know, that way he always had his input. It was one of the things, um, honest to God, it's one of the best relationships I've had in the cannabis industry besides my friend Shango. Cool. Um, Shango and I have a really good relationship too, both business and personal. Um, Daz is the same way. You know, those two have been rock solid in my cannabis journeys. So, you know, I have nothing but good things to say about both of them. Yeah, awesome. Really cool. I That must be just a lot of fun from a breeder's perspective to know somebody else who's highly talented, you know, that you can give them your work that you have had this vision for and picture in your head of what it can be, and then have somebody else, like, work on it. And I'm sure they add in new things and different elements and maybe see things that you didn't see. Just sounds like fun. It's pretty cool. It is. It was a good time. You know, it's um, there's a method behind the, the hybrids that we do create together um, and putting all that brainstorming together, getting the project rolling. And then for it being the inaugural run in my new my new office here, um, you know, it was pretty dope. Oh, yeah. Oh, you all definitely kick some ass. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> um any other collaborations in the future coming up um there's another one in the works that's still in its infancy um and then my main focus right now is like i was talking about earlier circle back around obviously i'm working on the 304 that's going to be the big pet project this winter um i'm going to bring back some classics too yeah a lot of people have been asking about it so i might as well do it at least one more time bam jim bam jim Everybody's voting for that one. Everybody's going to be hitting you up for it now. Now he's like, ah, damn it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if it wasn't already bad enough with Anvil, now we're going to have this one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Add that to the mix. <laughs> oh, man. So let me ask you this. If we were to, um, if I wanted to have a uh, ice wash some hash, who, which one of your strains should I lean towards if I wanted to do that? If I was looking for for resin production, what, um, would you, what would you lean to? If you were doing a whole run and you were trying to hash it out, what would you uh, hash it out? Right. Well, one honestly, it would be Bobby's Widow, but it's not out there right now. I got yeah, to uh, repro yeah reproduce that one. It's probably the best resin production plant that I have. After that, 
washability, I'd say coal miner's daughter. Yeah, that's um, what I was thinking, coal miners. Yeah. It uh its bud structure seems to be happy with um with washing. It's kind of got the tighter foxtails, not like the airy foxtails, but it has like foxtail bud structure where it's like stacks of them. Stacks of them, yeah. Yeah. And it washed the best. I mean, that's what won me the first. Um, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking it was that one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that one, I mean that's you're probably going to be able to find it right now i'm pretty sure i got to look at the invoice but i think dcc exchange has picked up some this week oh, of, the, of the regulars cool. i know the regulars because i'm out of the fence good deal so, yeah that's that's something i've always wanted to run i just never gotten around to it yet <laughs> she likes to be outside oh she like yeah yeah she i think a lot outside. of the pictures i saw of her were out there yeah they are yeah. in my beds she's sexy that dovetails, <laughs> kind of like, that dovetails kind of like with a question I was wondering about. Um, uh, I think you've mentioned in the past that you have done or are doing some commercial work where you can provide a lot of seeds to a company who wants to run a bunch of auto flowers. Um, yep. I've seen some posts on that on, on your page about that in the past. And uh, so what do you think about that? Like in terms of the industry running auto flowers for extracts which i know they're kind of doing already i'm sure it's really advantageous do you think that there's a chance that they'll advance to running autos for flower um i think eventually as they get better yeah um, as we find better cultivars because we're having we're still having to play the catch-up game with what the photo period guys are doing too you know what i mean like the photo periods keep getting better but so do the autos but the autos seem to be just a step behind and something's kind of i don't want to say something's going to have to be groundbreaking for that to happen but i think when you have markets like new york for example who have uh how many lights they can have per square something i don't know if it's foot meter what they set it for but like their greenhouses can only have so many assisted lighting lights because of green initiatives you know so i'm getting a lot of calls from that region you know new york to where they can do cycles in a time um, I think it's going to come. I think there's a place. I think there's still a place in time for both. But I still think there needs to be a little bit of work done before it's like fully over there. And some other things have to happen too. People have to stop starting them in one inch nursery cell trays. It doesn't work. And it doesn't matter like <laughs> yeah. what the brand, it doesn't matter who the breeder is. It doesn't matter where they source the seeds from in bulk or how much they paid for the seeds. If they start them in those like one inch by one inch cells, and leave them there for the week they're going to impact the return on that plant and then they want to come back and blame the guys with the genetics i've seen it happen with multiple different types mm -hmm. because of they just don't listen you know like if you're going to do it nursery pots or solo cups and then transplant them they'll be fine i see so you're still like you're good on solo cups but that that little nursery starter trade just like it's just going to screw the initial development <laughs> Yeah. So like what I do is I have 50 cell root right starter trays. I'm sure you guys are probably familiar with those. Mm -hmm. As soon as that seed comes up and that head turns up, they go right into four inch nursery pots. Right on. These right guys. on. Yeah. These guys. Nice. Cool. You know, yep. As soon as they turn up green towards the light, they can reside in here for about two weeks. Um, and I, the, uh, Osage number three, you guys see it on my Instagram. Um, like I said, they were started that way. You could see them in the actual trays that I had when I was hardening off the seedlings, how big they were before I did the transplant. Cool. Yeah. Um, I've, I've been growing in uh, clear cups lately just to watch stuff as I'm like kind of messing around with things. And I was surprised to notice that on this tiny little, tiny little seedling, the root had hit the bottom of this 32 ounce cup. 
quick you know, uh yeah so it was yeah. like oh okay yeah so that it totally makes sense that just like binding the roots like that especially if you left it in there for too long uh it would cause problems yeah well and i took pictures and 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 uh this round i'm going to do a post about it give you a little insight so i did these osh number three i left some of them in the four inch nursery pots just a couple females that turned up i put some in a multi-potted which is multiple plants per pot and like a 25 gallon and then i put initially it was either 15 or 13 in a hundred gallon tank container all transplanted or left alone at the same time and there's three different varying sizes of these plants the ones that went into the larger container with the largest root room are larger than the ones that are in the 25 and they're way larger than the ones that are left in the four but the four inch pots are way more advanced than the ones in the 25 25 are more advanced than the ones that are in the 100. so it definitely made changes to this plant's life cycle depending on when you transplanted it sure 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 that makes total sense so like the advanced sooner the better yeah so yeah. the advancement into flower is is basically proportional to the to the size of its root base from what i'm showing on this cultivar yeah see yeah this is why this is why I'm terrified of transplanting otters, and everybody makes fun of me for it. But I, it's always been a worry for me. You know, I always try to start them in the last pot. That way, I don't have that stress at all. Well, you I know? do too. That's I try prim- to. <laughs> That's my primary function. My primary method and go to is yeah. direct to final pot. But when you need to transplant outside, yeah, you know, these are the, these are the steps that I take. This is the perfect timing because I literally have four. Odin Sons by Green Guy, shout out, um, that just popped in solo cups. They're going to be going directly outside, but I'm trying to figure when I should do it or if I should transplant them again and then put them outside. You know, that's where I'm at right now. Go take a look at the recent posts and you'll see the signs that they are inside that 100 gallon tank. Yeah. Um, that's right. We're, you know, I like to see the first sets definitely out and extended. Your second set's definitely showing three leaves and you're starting to see that, that fourth set or that. Uh, you know, the third set coming in there, you know, the third set of tree leaves starting to come up through the center. So we, that out. obviously between a tiny plant and a huge plant, there's a big difference, but let's say that like, let's say you're a little bit late on the transplant. What kind of yield decrease do you think you're really looking at? Like at the end, like, or what increase by having that proper environment? We don't really know, I guess. You don't, yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't really have a way to put a finger on that yet. Right. But the salient point is like you'll essentially get better vigor uh, and more yield with a slightly longer life if you give it more root space. Exactly. So I guess I did want to uh, to we we had jabbered a little bit earlier about um, the idea of a land race auto flower, and I realize the terms are clunky and people are probably going to get upset about how I use the land race there, but <laughs> uh, but I'm curious like uh, if we could potentially take the modern autoflowers that have been created, let's just say bluntly the good ones, the ones that have a strong vigor, you know, that have been selected for potency, all that kind of stuff, and introduce them somewhere where they would naturally drop seed in the fall at the right time so it freezes and comes back in the spring, and that that lot could begin to establish itself as an indigenous strain with these autoflowering traits at the right latitude. So all that said, like, I'm curious, uh, your thoughts on that. And, uh, like, if you think that that's possible. Yeah, I, 
I do. I don't know if we'd call it land race because now the more that you said that, like I can yeah. see where people, yeah. yeah. But like you're looking for like a um, almost a perennial in a region, you know, like where it's coming, it's dropping its own seed to come back. And I definitely, I mean, we see it all the time with feral hemp. You know, a lot of guys right now have hard time in certain fields and part of the country where feral hemp's got out of hand. You got a lot of males pollinating the area, you know, which is definitely going to hurt crop. I don't care what you say. It's going to hurt your, it's going to hurt your crop. Um, I do believe some of them can be that prolific. I've seen it within my own compost. I mean, we don't get down to like hardcore negative degrees here. We're pretty mild when it comes to the winter. Like our frost line's pretty high. Um, but like, for example, I, I make compost throughout the year, throughout the seasons. And we were talking about this earlier. I drop, you know, discarded females that are seated into the compost pile, you know, just kind of continue that. And I get a fair amount of volunteers to come back every year. And that's after a freeze and a hard freeze too, you know, definitely down closer to zero than anything. Um, some of these plants that came up this spring, uh, like we didn't start getting warm here until about mid-June. It was a cold, cold, cold spring. And some of these plants were up, some of these plants were up early enough to where I've already harvested like two or three autos that popped up out of there. Like they're done. You know, full flower. Um, but I think it's a possibility, yeah. Like, I think once they get established, uh, I think nature will take over, weed out the good ones, the ones that come back will be the strongest ones for the next year if you have a place to do that. But you right, got to be careful, good. too. Because then if you got other medical guys in the area, you're going to pollinate their shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm wondering that. I'm, I'm growing a, a, a male outside right now, and I'm wondering if i should <laughs> but you know I, you should yeah it's hard to yeah, say people, I don't know. i'm still wondering about it honestly people have gotten upset with me tremendously about seeing giant males in my back garden in some of my videos um i've had some people say some pretty ugly things and i understand it um but there's nothing really around me where i'm putting it into danger i've I could kind of see the neighborhood pretty well when you drive around, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. but like, I usually don't leave them out there long, long enough to get some of the pollination going, cut them down, hit them with a the hose, bury them in the compost pile, you know, um, just be careful with them. I mean, I've got yeah. one outside right now and I'm trying to, I'm trying to grow off a of flower for once. I've never had a pure non-seeded flower run in years. We'll just put it that way. And I'm still getting the itch to keep a male around. Like I can't help myself. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's the, horrible it's a fun What's little side quest you should have to the range you have to worry about for pollen i really can't say because there's two factors there's wind and then there's insects yeah. you know what i mean uh honeybees bumblebees come into my garden constantly they're all you know they're in there for the the dutch white clover they love that white clover they uh -huh. love coming you know the flowers that are around the garden they love coming in getting all that pollen well, they pick up some of that mail pollen and they fly over to the neighbor's house has got some and they land on that cannabis <laughs> plant ta-da or however far you know <laughs> yeah you know their nest may be you know and if, i mean all the time i see plants that were like a bee will land and some of that pollen falls on the leaf from all the flowers they've been collecting may it be the the bright orange pollen from the squash or zucchini or the pumpkins you know and then they land up on a cannabis plant and leave like a splatter point um mm. you know that pollen can carry by the wind or by insect so that dirty, dirty pollen. I know. Yeah, right? For bees, that could be for miles. I would imagine. Exactly. Oh, 100%. Mm -hmm. 100%. Right. 
Every you flower start- they ever been with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just carrying it right along. <laughs> oh, shit. oh man. Well, right on. Well, that's cool. I, yeah, I like the idea and uh of uh, you know of establishing autos outside and more so than I guess what struck me about it was like uh, obviously historically ruderalis has its own place in nature and in those northern latitudes it grows and it does its thing and i was just curious like yeah if we could bring in like the more potency of these autoflowers and have them kind of work that way but it would be the same with photos if they were at the right latitude as well so it's not really like that big of a deal right it's just kind of a curiosity oh no exactly no it's just like could they establish it's one of those things that i think about too it's like could they establish on themselves and continue you know that life cycle there i definitely think they could it's um, a cool thought yeah would it be nice mm. oh I look up and see all. fields just going town yeah but in again, between the pines to, you have to be out yeah in between the yeah. pines you have to be out there yeah. making sure those males are gone though that's the only downside to that right mm-hmm. you know if it, yeah dirty males have like a 1400 acre ranch <laughs> just let it rip just let Shout it go. Out to anybody <laughs> who has a 1400 acre ranch <laughs> give us a call just a hillside. <laughs> Imagine the pollen radar on that one. It's just no. blowing right along. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, man, we really appreciate your time. Thank you for for yes, hanging sir. out with us and for talking about your work and your strains. And um, is there, I guess, just two things. Is there anything that you want to promote that's coming up? Any new releases? And then also, where can people uh, find you that may not know about you already? Can they get so, your gear? Yeah. So you... So we'll start off if you want a kind of all-in-one experience if you go to gnomeautomatics.com um you know you'll be able to hit the different instagrams that are on there on the bottom then you'll be able to find all my vendors go to the menu go to the vendors tab there's a list of everybody who carries my products um and then on instagram full duplex underscore afn or gnome underscore automatics um so you'll find both of the accounts and the work that we're doing so yeah, if you want to reach out to us, um, you know, my email is listed on the Instagram. My email is listed on the about info um, on the website. So there's multiple ways to reach out to us, multiple way to find us. Hell yeah, man. And I just want to say one more thing, you know, from me and everyone else in the autoflower community, you've thank you for what you've done, you know, and what you've put forward gene wise <laughs> to the pool. <laughs> well, I appreciate uh, it. It's really, I mean, if you think about it, it really has, it's, it's, it's sparked a lot of things when that happened. So I appreciate it. You know, it's been a lot of years of work and, um, you know, I thank everybody who's believed in me too. Like, yeah, you know, in reality, like you can't continue a project to push forward and be able to produce things. Cause there is, let's face it, there's overhead for productions like this, you know, water and soil and loan, lighting power. And, you know, so I thank everybody who's, you know, stuck with me over these years and, looking forward to uh, some of the newer stuff i put out to maybe bring some new people in and actually break out some of the classics and get some other people uh, a chance Exciting. to grow those yeah so definitely do and i appreciate you guys having me on today too uh thank you for your time on this sunday afternoon i know we have you know mondays creeping up on us really quickly so i appreciate yeah. your time thank you sir yeah, yeah man. Well, you have a good one man and uh we'd love to have you back again someday tell us yeah let's do it let's set up another one Uh, maybe we can get one that's uh 
on a specific topic and we get some bullet points together yeah. with you guys like i enjoy the bullshit session you guys this is oh, our yeah. first time getting to totally know fun. but like i think it'd be fun to um dive down some kind of rabbit holes too yeah you know definitely we, like could that tear, we could tear into stuff dude for sure sounds yeah. good yeah cool. absolutely we'll right, be dude. Dude. sure well thank you sir appreciate it oh thank you gentlemen too i appreciate it you guys have a great week um if you guys need anything reach out Hell yeah. Sounds good, bud. Awesome. All right. Thank you, man. Later. All right. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening to Crafting Cannabis. Follow us on Instagram at Crafting Cannabis Podcast or visit our website at craftingcannabispodcast.com.